Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. So, like, welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode. Uh, you guys are, uh, are frequent flyers on, on, on Pushing Boundaries. I'm glad to have you back. You know, uh, the essence of your stories is definitely needed here. I'm going to introduce you. I have two guests today. Uh, and one of my guests is D Mills. He's a Caribbean American, uh, was raised in Brooklyn, New York City during the 90s in a single parent household under the mentorship hand of myself and the late great Andrew Moore. D Mills has been successfully able to navigate those adverse times. He is now a mentor, youth developer, public healer, and life ambassador with the mission of improving the mental toughness and self-sustainability for this generation and many to come. Welcome, D Mills. Yes, sir. Blessings, blessings. I'm here, man. I'm here. I'm excited for this one, man. I'm excited. All right, my next guest is Rashawn, is a committed educational leader who is dedicated to social economic development of underserved communities. Being a long time Far Rockaway resident, Rashawn has excelled as a professional basketball player, stockbroker, and committed educator. Rashawn holds a bachelor's degree in entrepreneurship and small business management and a master's degree in educational leadership. Rashawn's goal is to encourage economic empowerment in historically underserved and undeveloped areas. Welcome, Rashawn. Thank you. Thank you. Honored and blessed to have, be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So we, we are staying on topic. We are Man, Son, Baby Boys, Episode 3 in terms of that series. Uh, this, this, the reason why we continue with this series is because we've got feedback from both men and women on, on this topic. And there's some concern about what's happening with uh, young men and their development and, uh, you know, as well, young, young boys, boys and developing into men. And so I'm just going to read this description here uh, that brought this up. More men are staying home and having difficulty transitioning to independence. The definitions and opportunities for success have changed and required men to redefine themselves. So that's that's where we are today in in episode three. Um, And I think you guys really uh, bring some essence into the story. You're both millennials. You're both in the struggle in terms of 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 being young men and establishing yourselves uh, successfully, I must say. And um, I wanted to get your opinions because I think your opinions are differing in some ways and, and on the same page. And so I think we're going to have a, a, a definitely a rich conversation coming from both of you on this topic. And so I wanted to start with just offering some statistics to the audience. From marketwithwatch.com, women leave nest, men stay with parents. That was August 5th, 2013 by Quintel Fartrell. 2012, 40% of millennial males live with parents versus 32% of women. U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health 2016 manuscript, racial and ethnic differences of leaving and returning to the parental home, the role of life, course course transition, socioeconomic resources, and family connectivity. In 2011, 31% of black men stayed home, 21% of Latino men, 15% of white men. So there's a there's there's a something happening here. We don't know why it's happening, but I I want to get some feedback from you guys, being millennial men, 
and um, understanding that, you know, there's something happening in this community and your perceptions of what's going on uh, and giving us some, shedding some light because there are a lot of women out there who are raising uh, young men and want to know how to do it. And there's some, some asking questions about what went wrong with my uh, adult son and why they're not doing what they need to do. And so we want to shed some light on that too. So I just want to start with the first question and just, um, this is going to be out of the box in terms of, I'm not going to uh, lift the questions from the last interview, but I'm going to go with a uh, new question so that we're on the same page with that. All right. What are the expectations for men? Rashawn, you, you want to take lead or, or would you like for me to jump in first? Oh man, I, I don't really go uh, for order. I mean, whichever, whichever order is organized, but, um, you know, if you're ready, if you like to go, go ahead. I give you the floor. We can alternate. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Men are expected straight away, um, out of the box, which is very intriguing that now that I'm, I'm about to verbalize this and articulate it. Um, the expectation for a man is to pretty much know. You just have to know, right? And when I say you have to know, you have to know everything, right? So you, you have to know, you're expected to know how to sustain a household, right? You, you're expected to know instinctually how to love, how to protect, how to communicate, how to provide, right? Even sexually, I'm gonna take it there, even sexually, as a man, you're expected to know how to please and pleasure a woman, and she may not know how to do these things on her own. So you expect there's so much expectation on the male in all different areas of life. But the irony is men are not prepared from young for most of those expectations, mm. right? So when we are finding ourselves as young men in every one of those scenarios that I just mentioned to have to step up, most of us are not prepared. So what happens is that there needs to be some attention to detail and then there needs to be some attention to the process of developing young men, right? And a part of that development needs to be on one side, preparation, and on the other side, communication and emotion management. You have to be able to manage your emotions. And those are the three things that too many of us are not um, taught and, and conditioned, um, you know, from young. That, that's, that's what I would say. Okay. So I wanted to, I wanted to touch, and that was a great, great lead off. Um, I think there's an a, a, a overwhelming theme of unpreparedness that we'll probably go through mm -hmm. and touch on a number of times throughout this conversation. But I did want to go back to some of the data that you shared, because that was actually good research. You had said something about 31% of black men um, returning to the home or living at home with their parents. First and foremost, I want to talk to all the parents and say that millennials coming back home is, is a generational problem, right? So isolated, don't look at men any different than women, because uh, on a whole, this generation is returning home for longer periods of time than any other generation that we've seen um, in America. Um, in recent years. So don't, don't, don't fall so too short with that, with that one statistic, but mm -hmm. highlighted in that is the, um, uh, the propensity for the, for the, for the majority of that to be black males. Right. And when you ask the conversation, when you start a conversation with what does it mean to be a man, I can only identify with being a black man. And so much of our society, um, goes back to that unpreparedness that we have to unpack that a little bit. 
right? We have to unpack what barriers are there that prevent us as black men as seeing us, ourselves in places of success or seeing ourselves in places of independence, right? Because when you start talking about living on your own, you're just really talking about independence. So if we can talk really specifically, I guess you have phrased it to the parents and what do we do in raising and being a black man, there is an expectation of being prepared as my brother so, so eloquently put, but there's also, um, a lack of knowledge around why those preparation steps aren't being taken. And that's something that we need to go deeper into. Mm. All right. Thank you. Correct. I would agree. Well said. Now, let me ask you, is there, is there, um, you know, you, and I like, I like the fact that you let off with, um, that it's not only men, but it's also men of color. Right. And so that, that really uh, guides us to our next question. Is there a double standard for men of color? Absolutely. I guess I'm gonna lead off on that one. Um, there is a double standard when it comes um, to every facet of the way we look at it, right? So if we look at it from a black white uh, perspective, there is a facet of what the black male experience looks like. And most of the time that's threatening. If you look at through the black um, male versus male complex, um, a lot of times it's challenging around who's the alpha, right? Or who's more predominant, right? And then you can look through it through a lens of dark skin versus light skin, right? And the context of black men change. So uh, if you go back to what our expectations are, it's not really fluid. Um, and that's some of what we need to define as well. Um, we need to get uh, an understanding that the black man is a, is a plethora of different experiences and different colors and different shapes, and that we need to start to um, strengthen them, like my brother so say, from a young age. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. I honestly really couldn't agree more. I think that there's a huge uh, double standard. Right. Because the thing is, with with being a black man specifically in this country, and I've traveled the world, man, I've been to 33 different countries. Specifically with being a black man here, your margin for error is about that big. Mm. It's literally about an inch. You overstep and make one mistake, one wrong calculation, that could be the end. Mm. Maybe not so much of your life, but that can be the end of your financial freedom. That could be the end of your actual freedom. Like that could be the end of a lot, a lot of endeavors for you, right? So you have to lead as a black man, you are constantly walking on proverbial eggshells, constantly, right? And no one could understand, unless you are a black man, at how taxing that is like I, I can't begin to explain to anyone that is not a black man how f fatiguing that is on a day in day out basis so much so that you're in meetings and you're constantly like how do I sound am I coming across as educated am I coming across as this and so on and so forth there's never a rest like, like you see what I'm saying? When you're in the street, you're constantly being observed. Is he one of those, like in terms of a gangster or a hoodlum or whatever you want to call it? Is he a professional? Is he the, is there's this constant state of proving yourself otherwise, mm. right? I remember, I remember you asked myself and Rashawn on our previous visits, um, what about us is different? from the typical the prototypical stereotype of a black man and we both went down the line and, and spoke about what makes us different from those stereotypes so we're constantly in that wheel of proving how we are not uneducated 
proving how we are not just athletes, proving that we are not just uh, a piece of meat to be sexualized, Pro constantly proving these things over and over again, 24 seven, constantly. We always have to manage what we feel in terms of our energies to make sure we don't come across as aggressive, right? So there's a huge double standards. Other men and other coaches, they get much more leeway than a black man does, right? Primarily because in this country specifically, the media and everything that we consume paint this image that we're constantly fighting to overcome. So that's what makes it a, a daunting battle and an uphill battle for us. And, and that's where the double standard comes in because um, I'll just close with this fellas, not to be long-winded. We are the only group of men, black men in this country that were handed a narrative, okay? Every other male in this country, they got to create their narrative to some degree. Mm -hmm. Hispanic men, for the most part, Asian men, white men, et cetera, et cetera, Russians, whatever demographic you want to use. Everyone else got to pretty much create their own narrative for the most part. We were handed a narrative back in the 1700s when, when, when we were dragged over here into you know slavery, 1600s rather, dragged over into slavery. So I'll, I'll leave it there, fellas. Sean, you want to respond to that? Are you good? I think so. I mean, I made a couple of points. Um, you know, while the brother was talking, there's a certain level of like, to that point, like a constant necess necessity to prove yourself or a constant energy that you have to put forth that you're better than the other. And what happens, right, what that does to some individuals like my brother and like yourself, uh, Sharif, is that that fuels us, right? And that challenges us to continue to do better and, and, and to do more. But we have to talk a little bit about the PTSD of that, right? And, I, and, and there's a post-traumatic stress that goes with being a black man every day, right? And, and what we have to also understand is we've somewhat assimilated to that challenge. There are other people who say, I don't want that stress, right? I don't, I, I, I'm going to disassociate and distance myself from those areas, those times when I'm the only black person in the room. Those times when they're starting to talk higher than me and I don't know what I'm talking about and I feel pushed down. And so part of what our discussion and part of what I, I think when we were talking about baby boys is those, those, those young men who decided to disengage from that challenge and find a different challenge, right? Find a challenge that's more um, natural in their communities but are more negatively connotated. So I did want to respond to that and, and, and kind of give a, a, a segue into where I feel a lot of our baby boys are challenged is in the fact that we are have a post-traumatic strength as being black men in America that we aren't actively talking about. And it doesn't get viewed until we talk about our stories. We talk about the challenges that we have so that other young men behind us can see that and not see that as a barrier, see that as a challenge to overcome as well. Hmm. All right. Agreed. All right. So is there, is there, okay, let me ask, is there a double, a double standard based on gender? I would say so. Yeah, it's natural. I think I think it's natural. Our sisters, you know, our sisters, unfortunately, they bear the brunt of our men not being as strong as they need to be. You know, uh, my brother talked about in the, in, the, in, the, in the previous episode when he was discussing how our sisters are strong and, and, and started to raise men. And I want to say, like, I commend them, right? Like, like we, the, our, our black women have been in the forefront of so much um, from the civil rights movement on to leading our, our homes. But I'm going to say something that's really, really, really stark and maybe controversial, right? It takes us as black men to be able to be in the homes or to be in the family structure unit in order for us to get somewhere. 
right? We can't be respected as a people if we're not respected in our, in our family and our core structures. So, so where I'm going to is that our, our women can do their best to raise our young men, but it's gonna take our men to be in those communities to really, to really give them the picture of a man that they need to see. Mm. Well said, well said, well said. Well, what I would say is this, right? Um, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, and and I'm not too sure. I've, I think I, I think my thought is is your thought in that, um, because I do believe I always hear you know many men of all different backgrounds, colors, and creeds say that a woman can't raise a man, right? I strongly disagree with that. Strongly disagree. Um, I think they can, and I think many many have. It's just unfortunate that again like Rashawn just stated, that women are, are constantly, especially black women, are, are thrust into that responsibility and have to wear that proverbial backpack and carry that mantle, right? And like carry that responsibility. Um, not an ideal situation, but a number have successfully been able to do that, right? And I just want to quickly say, I believe the reason is reason why is because they were able to prepare the the son in that instance to become a functioning adult. I think there's too much emphasis in a lot of cases on a man, what a man is supposed to be, and a man this, and a man that, and a woman this, and a woman that. Before we're either, we're people, right? Like we're, we're, we're human. So if you take the lens of trying to produce a productive adult, male or female, I could give two hells, right? Male or female, that's where it really starts, right? Well, so, I gotta, I gotta interject one, go one ahead, second. Go ahead, go ahead. Only reason why I have to be specific and intentional in this conversation around being a mm -hmm. black man is because black males in, in our society have been attacked um, in so many different ways that to not do so would be discrediting our conversation from the very basis. Right. Okay. I, I, I got you. I, I agree. Yeah. It's not that I say that our women can't raise young men. I'm not saying that they have, and they have done in astronomical numbers, but also that's part of what's holding us back mm -hmm. is the fact that our men aren't cornerstones in the communities and their families. And listen, we can go back and forth on what the family unit is, right? It could be co-parenting. It could be two parents. It could be two. It could be whatever the configuration is. However, if we are not standing up and we're not being the proverbial um, lion in the jungle, if you will, then, then the order never really settles. And we have to be intentional as men because the black man has been demasculated in so many times, right? Mm -hmm. How many times have we seen government policies written in like social services that award families for not having the man in the household, right? So if we don't really talk about some of those institutional reasons why we're held back, then we're still mixing the crux on how we move forward. That's, that's all. So well, that's something different then. Like, so if you're saying it from that lens, then absolutely. Right. Because it's, it's, it's a strategic, if we're going to have that conversation, then like you said, we got to peel it all the way back. Right. We have to understand and be real with ourselves and understand that it's a strategic all out attack on the culture, right. On the black culture to divide and conquer. And what way is just like a human is just a elevated form or a more intellectual form of any other animal creature on the planet, right? We're just more cerebral. So 
how does another male lion take over a pride? They eliminate the previous male lion, right? And that's what happens to us. They eliminate the males and do what they want with our women and children. You, you see what I'm saying? So they mass incarcerate us. We, they, they, we're always the, on, on the brunt end of police brutality. Like, like you see what I'm saying? They make sure that, you know, uh, uh, black males, the system that is, make sure that black males are undereducated, right? Put in certain situations where it's unfavorable or undesirable. So there's a huge gauntlet that you are birthed into in this country, right? Where you have to try to navigate that. And to, I, I guess to, to Rashawn's point, it's difficult to successfully navigate that consistently without someone that looks like you in terms of a, a, a older black male to show you how to navigate those obstacles for you to mimic his, his route. So, so I'm assuming that's where Rashawn was going. And if that is, then that makes perfect sense because there is a strategic plan to hold back the culture in this country, and we all see it, it's blatantly obvious, there's no, there's no need for us to go off on a rant on that, but that's the issue. It's a, a specific strategy to divide and conquer, and more of the men need to be aware of that and help the young fellas behind us see these pitfalls and be mentors and be fathers and be better cousins and uncles and everything above and grandfathers, et cetera, to the younger male generation. So we all need to step up. I don't have any children, but I take it as a very strong responsibility to all my cousins behind me, my younger cousins, to make sure that they understand what the task is at hand and I show them no limits. That's the reason why I travel to 33 countries. That's the reason why I do different things and take the risk that I take. So they understand that, you know, Scared money don't make no money. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's high risk, high reward. So I lead by example, and, and we need more brothers like myself, Sharif, and Rashawn to do the same thing. And that's the only thing that's going to change it to Rashawn's point. All right, all right. So so you guys definitely answered the question, can women raise men? I, I, I hear that's a yes. And then um, is it necessary for a man to raise a man? Yes. An elephant cannot teach a lion how to be a lion. And it's not to say that there's not certain techniques, right? So so even though my family, you know, I come from a two-parent household, there was times in which my, my father is a native of, from Nigeria. So there was times in which there were situations that I was dealing with in the neighborhood that he really couldn't identify with. So my mom, upon herself, took it upon herself to reach out to coaches that I was with, pull them to the side guys that I, I looked up to and pulled me to the side and had those conversations, right? And that's a that's a way in which to circumvent the the gaps in experience that some of our young men go through. But but to not to not identify that or not try to, that is where some of the real fractures come in our young men's experience, right? And those are where maybe women don't have all the techniques, but they know how no, know who can or use their network or, or that's where the village comes in or to my brother's point that's where the uncle comes in to kind of feel that gap in experience so to answer your question i do think a male influence is necessary to raise a man um i i do think that a male influence that, that's such a touchy subject for me but i'll i'll just i'll just i'll just go this route with it right i would say that 
at key moments, I'll break it down into moments. I think in key moments in a male's, a developing, growing young man's life, there is a time where he needs to just see. And it doesn't have to be consistent, where he just needs to see an example of someone that looks or resembles him that he feels um, drawn to. Well, this is not a Tiffany moment, brother. This is not like, you know, me seeing Michael Jordan score 63 and then... No, 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 I'm not, I'm not speaking out. I'm, speak, I'm speaking from a mentoring standpoint. So let me be more clear, right? Let me use myself. I, I, I come from a single parent household, right? And my mom, again, the strategy was, this is what it takes to be a functioning adult, period. I don't care that you're my son or you could have been my daughter, whatever it is. Her stance was, to be functional, you need to have X amount of preparation. So what she did was, at age seven and at age eight, it was all out training. I was doing her laundry, my laundry. I was cooking. I was cleaning. All holidays. This is why I don't celebrate holidays right now. Anyone that knows me, I'm not a Christmas dude. I'm not a Thanksgiving dude. Because every single year of my life, my mom was big mama. Everybody come to our house. So I'm the only child. It's me and her cooking, cleaning, doing all the preparation for the family. So I went grocery shopping. She would give me the long, loose leaf paper, just like this, front and back. Front and back, go get this, come back. I had to unpack the groceries, everything. Preparing me for the moment. Preparing me. All those hours in the quote-unquote proverbial gym, right? Because her thing was, my child, male or female, is not going to be dependent upon no one. You understand? This was the thing, right? And she also told me straight to my face, I'll never forget the day when I was 11 years old, she said, you have 10 more years. In 10 years, you will not be in my house. You will go. You will try everything that I've been teaching you thus far. And if you fail, that's okay. I'll be here to help you, but you're going to go back out again. This was constantly her method from age seven. So she did such a good job, fellas, that by the time I was 16 years old, I did not see myself as a teenager. I thought I was a grown-ass man. You see what I'm saying? So growing up in Brooklyn at 16 years old at that time, gang violence and everything like that. Of course, she didn't really want me to be out and hanging with certain people, but I'm like, I'm doing things that my older cousins who have the babies now, because they're like 15 years, 12 years older than me, right? And they're all girls. I'm doing things like managing the checkbook, doing this, doing that, getting money orders and paying this bill and paying that. I'm doing all, I'm fully operating the household. All my mother's doing is giving me the money at this point, right? So I'm ready for the moment. That from the day I graduated high school, I never lived back home again. That was it. Went to college, after college, owned the park, everything, done. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's where Sharif came into play. Sharif and my other mentor who passed away, Andrew, what they did in that time, right, between age, because Andrew came into my life at age 11, Sharif came into my life at age 15, right? What they did in those, in those times I was able to see someone that had an energy similar to my energy, a charisma similar to my charisma, and I was able to strategically pick their brain about potential obstacles ahead. I was a sponge, but I was drawn to them because of how they maneuvered. I never felt like I needed any man to teach me anything because I knew that I could handle everything I needed to handle because of my preparation. 
You, you, you see what I'm saying? So Sharif and Andrew, the role that they played was more of validation. You see what I'm saying? I saw what I saw in Sharif and Andrew was okay. If I apply all of the things that I learned from my mom, this is ultimately what it looks like. But from these men, I will learn how to overcome obstacles in the workplace. You follow me? And that's the only difference. But leading up to that, I was 100% okay with the training that I received because it was training of preparation. So when that moment hit, there was never any fear. There was never any doubt. There was never any hesitation that I was ready to sustain and be independent. What say you? Right. Now, I think, I thank you for explaining that. And I think, I think all you did was kind of illustrate my point. I mean, that was what was integral for your development, right? But everybody's not the same. So everybody might not get the same mix of motherly support, superhero mom, excuse me, gotta, gotta sit my hat off to moms because she really, <laughs> but no, everybody doesn't get the same mix of superhero mom. Um, maybe I heard other influential family and then mentors at key points, right? That was the mix and source that you needed, right? But oh, I heard that there was two men in there at some point, right? That's what I'm saying, yeah, exactly, exactly, right. they, they pop in. exactly, exactly. And, they, right. and they, you use them for whatever various needs that you had at that time, right? That's what I heard, right? Yeah, so, so I was, so like what I said was, at that point though, I'm drawn to their energy because it, it mirrored my energy, so I was able to just have conversation. And through that conversation with Sharif, Sharif would tell you, I would just sit back with him sometime in, like, in between classes and just pick his brain. We would just talk. But this so is what I'm saying, brother. Yeah, you yeah, don't need to know you need that to need it, right? You said you didn't need that. But what you're telling me in your description is that you needed that to be who you are right now, right? So if we're talking about young men as a whole, we're saying everybody needs these ingredients. Of course, they have different seasonings or different levels, or one may have a father and not a mother. One may have an uncle and not a brother, but they still need these pictures, these visions, these people at key points to make- that's what, And that's what I said, key points, because I don't want, see but, here's the thing, we're saying key points. key points that it's not, so maybe yours was at 11 and 15, somebody else might be nine and seven, somebody else might be 21 and 19. It's a different mix, but mm -hmm. don't discount the fact of male Mentorship. No, I'm, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there needs to be more of myself, you, Sharif, my previous mentor, Andrew. There needs to be more of that. But all I'm saying is, at the end of the day, there, there's this there's this idea that if um like if it's not consistent, there's this perspective and this assumption, and you guys know this, and this is all I'm saying that there's this assumption that if that is not consistent throughout the male's life until he becomes an adult he's going to fail and that's not true you need it at key moments that's all i'm saying ideally yes sir ideally absolutely you would want that all day every day but unfortunately for all the reasons that we just unpacked a few minutes ago about 10 minutes ago for our culture for the black culture it's not that way, right? Because of the systemic setup that we have here in this particular country, right? So we don't, so we don't have that. We're not afforded that. So all I'm saying is, in the absence of that, if we can get more men like us to be open to at least being available in key moments, 
we will see significant change because why I say that so confidently is because we are, in my opinion, and again, I've been around the globe, we are the most resilient people. So we do the most with the very less. I don't know any other group that does more with less than us. So all I'm saying is we can, we can do it as long as we have men available in those key moments and that are open to helping in those key moments. That's all I'm saying. I respect that. We do need that. But I also have to, I have to change the fact that we're operating from a deficit model. We are resilient people. However, yes. that's not to continually be highlighted. If we're looking at current society, we're realizing all of the barriers that's placed us as a disproportion in so many different areas. So we need to change the narrative. We're not, we don't have to absorb or adapt, okay? It's not, it's abnormal to have single parent households. We need to get to normal where, where that is the common theme. And we shouldn't be asking for mentorship. We should be demanding it, right? It is a necessity for you as a man to look back and lean back similar to what the Panthers uh, started to put together as a national organization in requiring that men of the community do something for the community, right? And that's how you start to get back and change the idea. You are an outlier, right? You've, changed, you've, you've traversed so many different challenges. But part of the reason why we are at this point is because everybody can't jump all those same hurdles. And 90% of people get caught up on one of those rungs that you or I have been able to evade. So how do we continue to, to, to remove those barriers so all of our brothers have the same opportunity? And that's where we have to get to. And that's where we have to strengthen our sisters. That's where we have to demand our brothers. And that's where we get to a space where we, even if we have a disagreement as a relationship, there's still an understanding that we co-parent that child and we financially support that child. And we have a roadmap for how we're going to be as parents even if we're not together, right? I can't even hang with my brothers that don't, don't take care of their kids anymore, right? That's something that I had to stop because then I can't put myself in that same energy as you. I can't. The organization that I represent, Far Rock Strong Team Crate, we have tournaments and we do uh, experiment, experiences for young kids in the neighborhood just to take them outside of it. And what we find mm -hmm. is the parents enjoy it more than the kids. You know why? Because you have to build a community in order to sustain what, the, what, what these kids have an opportunity to succeed for. And if you don't, if you do one without the other, you're missing the boat. Correct. Correct. Okay. I agree. So I, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely agree. But I, like, I just want you to be clear on what, what I'm speaking about here. I'm, I'm just, and, 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 and Sharif would tell you this, I'm just not, I'm always of the mindset of, of adjusting. I don't, I, don't, I don't have an excuse bone in my body. So if I'm dealt a, a certain hand, I understand the hand that I was dealt and I know what I need to do to navigate that, that, that hand, even if I know it was fixed. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to complain about it. I always use the example when I, when I speak to kids that I mentor and they go old and they tell me, I've had you know, young, young brothers that are like 12, 14 years old tell me that they hate the fact that they're black, that if they weren't black, you know, they, they will be in a much better situation. Right. And I said, no, don't speak like that, because that sounds like a quitter. I said, you play ball. Right. A lot of these kids play ball. So I said, if you go, you know, to the game and a bunch of your teammates don't have their jersey and the other team got to shoot technicals and you start and you start the game zero five, you know, down by five. Are you quitting that game or are you still going to play the game out and brag about the fact that you won and you started out down five points? And it's like, nah, I'm going to still play. I said, exactly. So we're going to keep playing. 
So yeah, we know that the hand is crooked. I get that. But there's still ways around it until we get to the point of being perfect or damn near perfect. You, you see what I'm saying? And, well, what, it, and what you're speaking about is us coming together and being mentors. And, and I find that not enough of us are open to being mentors to our own young men. And that's where I do agree with you because we do need to step up, right? Because if there's situations where there's not a male in the household and stuff like that, you we should be helping the young men around us as much as we can, just from an advice standpoint, just from a conversation standpoint, because that's what Sharif was for me. It was just conversation. You know, it was just conversation and the same thing with Andrew, it was conversation. So just being open to that conversation for these young men goes a hell of a long way. And that's all I'm saying, because because we're so resilient that a lot of us, if you just give us the conversation, this is the product you get. And I'm a, and I'm a, and I'm an example of that. Just give me a conversation. And now you got this. And that's all I'm saying. That's how that's how dope we are. So what I'm saying is, if that's the case, if we just keep that going in the meantime until we fix the corrupt system, until we get additional resources or whatever the case is, we'll still be covering more ground than we're covering right now. And there's going to be more young brothers that are developed enough off of our generation, right, that will stay home and do the right thing and provide for their family, even if they're not with the woman and so on and so forth, like what you're saying. So all, all I'm doing is setting up a, like um, an alternative route, if you will, to lead to what you're saying. That's all I'm saying. That, that's 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 pretty much what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, you know what? And and excuse me. I'm just I, I just speak frankly, and Sharif knows this, but I, it's a call to action. It's a call. And and, and people. One of my uh, supervisors always says this: people only respect what you inspect. And I'm tired of us as as our men, as my colleagues, my bros. Some of them, they don't do what they what they need to do to 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 be a positive example in their own space. Right, and that's the issue. Yep. To us as men, is like we got to put up a shut up, right? And it's not large stuff. Like I don't need you to go and do a backpack drive. I don't need you to go and 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 give out food to the community, right? That's not. I just need you to take care of yours, right? I need to. T- I need to find out that your son, who's struggling in school, I need to know that bef- before from you, not him, right? Like so that you tell me to work with your son, so that we use the, our communal resources to make sure your son succeeds, right? And mm-hmm. our men have to do that, not just our women. You know what I'm saying? And I, so, and I so agree. What you see, what you're hearing in the urgency and the call to action is not just like coming at families for being broken, because I never want to come at that. I can't, that, that's not something, that's not a place that I can sit, and that's not a place I can speak from, right? Because I'm from the culture, so I never talk bad about it. But I also can realize those deficiencies and where we need to get better at, right? And when I see like friends of mine, right, who have multiple kids, and I ask them, "Yo, how your son doing? How you? Oh, I saw them two weeks ago. I saw them. Like that's just that's dis- that's disappointing for me, and that shows where we are in the deficient deficiencies. You know what I mean? And it's not just his son and daughter, his uncle, his cousin, is 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 the neighbor, right? You know, and that's the way we have to act more communally so we get the respect that we deem and 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 we see possible. You know, I, I shared with Brother Sharif there was a shooting today. A stepfather and a son. I can't speak on it because I don't know all the details, but it happened in my neighborhood. How does a stepfather, which is 34 years old, have a shootout with a 15 year old? 15 year old. Like yeah, that's crazy. That's that's a, crazy. that's a breakdown. All right, that's a breakdown. Mm-hmm. What we've allowed is that level, and of course things happen one off, right? So I don't want to speak on it like this crime doesn't happen in other demographics, right? So I don't want to get there, but it's a breakdown 
in our community between younger and older for, for something like that to diverse. And that just shows that we have to be more intentional about that relationship. Correct, correct. And and, and again, it just... Let me, let me, yeah, let me, go ahead, jump in, Sharif. I mean, let me stare you. So, so I, I definitely hear you guys. And, and you know, you, you guys have given us the secret sauce in terms of your individual successes, right? But then, you know, the, the other side of this is... There are a lot of there are a lot of men and a lot of some of your peers that are still on the couch, right? That are still in the house, and and there there are going to be generations after this that are going to be on the couch and still in the house. And we talked about the gauntlet, and we know that you know there's the 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 there's the, in terms of error, the margin for error is very small. So we know that. But what's the I mean, what specifically is the ingredient for how to make men, and and especially black men, successful black men. In, in households that are not solid, in some households that are, that are, that have both mom and dad there, and they and they have a, a, a boy, a, a son, a male astray, what what's happening? But well, we we know what's happening in terms of why they're in the house and why they're still in the home. But what's the ingredient that people can begin to rely on and use to change the dynamic in their household, especially for those up and coming parents with boys? You you want to you want to go first, Rashawn? Uh, I, I have two girls. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to go, well, you don't have kids. So is that why you put me first? Is that why you, you do it? No, no, he didn't know that. He didn't know that. Oh, know. He didn't know that? oh okay. Um, so, so I'm going to just speak from my position of having two girls. Um, one thing I've noticed is that raising young girls is that there's certain conversations that you're just not going to be good at, right? So I ask for reinforcement. And that's my wife, that's um, my sister, that's um, aunts, and those are respected women around who I've cultivated around who my daughters are, who I like them to be emulate. I think some of that has to be emulated for our young men more intentionally. Um, if you don't have those positive images around of, of black men that you currently in your church or in, in, your, in your work environment or in your life, you, you have to seek those out. And you can seek those out through a multitude of different avenues. Some of them through athletics, some of them are academics, some of them, you know, teachers that, that your, your child, um, your son uh, may connect to. But reach out to those examples of uh, what a positive black man are, at least in your own definition of what that is, right? Um, the next thing I was going to say is experiences. Um, young men need to really be out and about, and they need to see things that are different from the perspective that they live in on a daily basis. Um, maybe even more so than young ladies. Um, but I will say young men need that. Um, because what it does is it allows them to compare themselves in different areas. And once you start doing that, um, it, 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 it builds a resolve and a, resol a resilience in your character. And that's something that's really important uh, for young men of color. So those are, those are my two bits. Yes, sir. Well said. Well said. So I'll piggyback off of the last thing you said, um, because Sharif knows how I feel about this. It is my number one go-to thing with anything, and that is experience through travel. It is disgusting to me that people, specifically because we live in the States, so many, a large percentage don't even have a passport, and 40% of, of Americans, they actually never live or move outside of the zip code that they were raised. So with that being said, it is very difficult for you to aspire to be anything else outside of what you visually see, 
right? Very difficult. You have to be a, a, a very special individual to have that type of ambition and be consistent with that level of ambition and curiosity, right? So experience, 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 experience. The more situations you we can get our young men in through travel and seeing other neighborhoods and the kids that I mentor, I tell them this, like, look, don't take the little money that you get and buy a $400 pair of Jordans or $300 pair of Jordans. Take that money. Go to Connecticut during the day in the summertime, right? Go look at those neighborhoods. Just canvas. Take your camera because some of these kids, they like photography and this and that. Take, take that, right? Go take pictures of these different neighborhoods. Go to the stores. Go to a Target in Jersey or whatever. Just get out of your immediate environment and go explore. And when you do this, right, you'll notice that, oh, all of the stores aren't dirty and have cans and shirts and this and that disorganized and not racked according to South. Oh, okay. And then you go into large buildings and it's, oh, it is clean and is well kept and it doesn't smell like urine or this or that, right? You start to see like there's a different style of living, of existing, right? You do that. You also allow these young men and beat it home and drill at home to, again, male and female. Because I, I, I feel some type of way of always breaking this down into gender. We're human at the end of the day. But if we're going to stick on the topic of, of men and men of color, specifically for us, networking. Network is key. We have to, from young, develop and push and encourage our young men the, you know, to network and teach them the importance of networking. So experience through travel, networking, which is also groomed and boosted and elevated through travel, because your network then um, expands, excuse me, the more you get outside of your immediate vicinity, right? And then third, preparation. Nothing beats preparation. Why you think everybody trains, athletes train out of college? What do most people want if they can't get a paying job? An internship. Why? To be prepared. Like, you see what I'm saying? Preparation is everything. If you're not prepared, you will lose, period. Singers, prepare hours. Dancers, prepared hours. I don't care what you are, painter, you're preparing. You're pay constantly working at your craft. That's what we need, constant preparation from young, a heavy emphasis on networking. Because if you are not the most intellectual, if you're not the most educated, if your network is strong, you will get opportunity. I've seen it. Numerous occasions in travel, because through travel, you have something like, just like Rashawn said so perfectly, you then have something to compare not only yourself to, but you have something to compare your environment to. You see what I'm saying? And now you can make adjustments. Because now it's like, do I want to be in this area or do I want a taste of this over here? You see what I'm saying? And that's all the difference. That makes all the difference. So those three things in my book, are something that we should literally be dri drilling into these young fellas from young, in my opinion. What say you? And so, and so I, I could, I could, I could definitely respect both of your uh, your feedback on this because I know as me as coming up, you know, in in Brooklyn um, and during the late '80s and the early '90s was it was a war zone. But my experience was that you know at, at the first 13 years of my life, I grew up with my mother who was a single mom, and with my brothers, right, and we grew up in in Far Rockaway, Queens, and then we grew up in um, different wave crests, and then we were, you know, we were in Brooklyn, and in those experiences, you know, my mom 
sent me to, you know, bust me to all white schools and, and sent me to a private school. And so through that exposure, I was able to see a different life, even though I was having internal struggle with, you know, living in an environment that was beneath, I, I felt that was a struggle or, or, or challenge to my identity than going to another environment where I wasn't even represented, right? So I was dealing with that dichotomy all the time, right? And that was a struggle for me. So at 13, when she couldn't handle me, I went with my father. And so from 13 on, I was with my father, but we were in, in Brooklyn, right? We were in, in the struggle. And in Brooklyn, it was different, right? And so when he had the first conversation with me was like, listen, you know, and I said to him, you know, because I'm used to, you know, getting, you know, my mom taking me places. And he said, listen, I can't protect you on the streets. You have to learn how to maneuver yourself in a way that you can get to your location safely and get back home. Right. And, and in that struggle and, and, and having to adapt, you know, was, 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 was very challenging at 13 because at 13 and 14 on the streets was different. Right. And so, you know, you know, the, it was versus, you know, when to carry, how to carry a knife or when to carry a knife or not carry a knife or with how to how to navigate through the streets and what corners but what it taught me was my mom's my mom in giving me the exposure gave me another lens for the neighborhood right so i knew that my existence didn't have to be the urine stain neighborhood or the crackhead or the or the things that were there i, I knew that they, there could be more because i had more right and so coming from a place of more and having exposure allowed me to say okay you know i'm in this condition right now i can't do anything about it this is the way i'm living but I don't want to end up in this 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 place, and so that's when it became like. So in my free time, you know, after high school, I would spend my time in botanic gardens, taking a nap, or walking in Prospect Park because I knew that was available to me. But many of my peers didn't know, right? Or I knew that I needed to walk the park slope and look in those brownstone windows at the bookshelves, and I said that that's going to be my future, right? I see myself having that too. I see myself with shorts and sandals and walking around with a t-shirt and having that environment for my family, right? And so that mm -hmm. gave me the reach to, to, to exist beyond my community. But those who, but you're right, but those, my, my peers and your peers that didn't have that exposure and that mentorship, you know, and I, and I had a lot of black people. <sighs> One of the things that my, yeah. my dad did, you know, not, not necessarily with my mom, I did, and, and this is where women struggle. With my mom, I didn't have a lot of black people around. But my mom couldn't handle me after a certain point. She couldn't handle me. I was a little bit, I was a bit, I was a bit much. And she couldn't handle my brothers either, right? And so we had to go with dad. And dad was a different game. That was a lot of talking. You know, dad was, was a boxer. Dad was different, right? And he communicated different. And we had to navigate with him differently. And it was a straight, straightforwardness that was very different, right? And it was a realness. And it was a, it was a, it was a, it was based on choices and consequences. So whatever we did, there was a consequence for it, not because he punished us or he spanked us, but whatever we got into, whether it was in the streets or some situation, he had to coach us through that challenge and the consequences of our decisions that led us into that. So, so I saw I saw both worlds in that in, in terms of developing my own identity. And I see how both are important because one gave me the nurture and one gave me the nature, right? One one taught me how to love and how to how to be and how to take care of myself. Like you said, the expectations are, and washing, doing the things. But my father also taught me that in his inability to do it too. Because when he could not shop and he could, he didn't know how to, you know, to fill a refrigerator with food and, and cook dinner and, and, and he would spend his money to go get the four wings and fried rice and a Chinese restaurant and all that on a regular basis. My mom taught me, you gotta have a balanced meal, mm -hmm. right? And so I brought the balanced meal to my dad and said, listen, dad, we can't eat like this and be healthy. 
Not in a, we can't be in a, a safe state of mind or a healthy state of mind like this, living like this. You can have your 40s, but the 40s is not, that's not what we should, we should be doing. Dad, why don't you drink some more water, right? And so in that adjustment, you know, being, being an in-between between both, I saw the perspective of both, but I also saw the deficits of both and why it was necessary for both to be together because there was a more complete picture when I had the dad there and I had mom there, you know? So, you know, it's interesting because I'm hearing both of your stories and I'm putting it together in terms of my own life. And that gave me perspective to reach further and to survive what was in front of me, right? And so that, that's, I just wanted to share that piece with you guys. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to, you know, add, I wanted to end with this in a very clear way. What is the definition of a man? You can't let me go first the whole the whole way out. Oh, right. So so for me for me again a, a definition of a of a man is, I would say an individual that one underst understands the task at hand, right? And and when I say the task at hand is the task is accepting and welcoming and embracing and being comfortable with all challenges given. That's that's how that's what I view a man as, right? And those tasks and those challenges, they will come in many different forms. You need to become comfortable um, in communicating what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what what's happening with within you, with in, inside of you. I don't know that you could successfully call yourself a man if you are afraid of doing that. My opinion, I mean, I, I'm sorry if I'm ruffling any feathers out there, anyone that might be listening. In my opinion, a man understands what he feels, what's happening internally, and he embraces it, and he is not afraid to articulate that and put it out there because of what the backlash might be. A supreme level of confidence is a man, right? Never shying away from his responsibility is a man. Learning how to love himself first and foremost, and then putting that love and channeling that love to all of those around him is a man. Elevating those around him, male and female, supporting everyone around him, male and female, young or old, elevating them and pushing them and encouraging them to be their best. And when they do, he doesn't feel um, he doesn't feel um, challenged or intimidated. He wants, he needs for everyone to be at their best. He thrives, he's, he yearns for that. Like, like, you know what I mean? And finally, he, he has this nature about him when it comes to the female that he wants her to be her best at all times. Even if that means at a point where he's not at his high point, but she is, he's okay with that, right? He's comfortable with that. He wants to see her win. That's a man. If you tear a woman down because you're, you're hurt or if you aren't at a level that you see for yourself and you've hit some adversity, so you want to rip the woman that's close to you down to, 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 to try to make yourself, that's not a man. You know what I'm saying? So always at all points, adversity or not, supreme level of confidence, no quit. You see what I'm saying? No coward's way out. That's a man at all times. That's 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 what I feel. 
right. I had to write some notes down, brother. I mean, I, <laughs> I hit all those, man. But that is that is a that's a lot. I think. Um, I mean, to the brother's point, um, I'm still learning through a lot of that. To be really honest, I think I think some of some some of understanding of your man is that just like everything else, everybody else, you're not a perfect being, right? So everything is a learning process. But um, two of the main principles that I think uh, are are men. Uh, with the finer man or, or, or alpha in the relationship because it's a fluid thing now, right? I'm starting to understand that a lot of things are fluid. Um, are, are the two tenants around protecting um, and providing, right? Um, and those in itself are, are fluid as well, right? Because our, our protection now is much different. You know, you can protect somebody on social media now and that's a level of protection. Um, but protection and providing um, for those uh, who, who in your immediate um, um, I guess guidance or, or, or family structure, and then those around you, right? So, so to me, I, I see that that as core tenants to being a man is to be able to protect, to provide for those around you, and as you, um, I, I would say, get better, that effect starts to to reverberate out outside of you, right? So you start to impact not just your home, and the people immediately affected to you, you start to impact and affect those that are further out. So my my examples and tenants are, are really stuck in. Uh, protection and providing and the fluidity that that means because we can be providing but yet we're not the financial provider right um we can be protecting but we're not literally uh the muscles protection um all of those things are fluid but protection providing are, the, are those two tenants that i stand by thank you for that gentlemen you know my, my my definition of a man is that they have to be they have to definitely be spiritual um they have to have some sort of faith beyond themselves because they are walking a gauntlet. And so I think that they have to believe in something that can carry them, you know, through their spirit. And then I also believe that that men have to be, um, they have to be physical, right? And that they they have to engage in, in their physical energy and they have to, to nurture their physical energy and they have to evolve it, right? And then the other thing is that I think uh, mentally, I think men, men, men have to have outlets, right? Derek, you talked about the loving yourself. And 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 I think, um, you know, we, we, we can give a lot and, but we have to we have to give a lot to ourselves too. We have to fill ourselves. It's important that we we fill ourselves with 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 love and and nurturing. And we have to you know like we have to you know we have to get massages if we if that's necessary. I know Rashad, we went and got massage. You know we needed that right. And and so I think we got to put back yeah. in ourselves. We got to put back in ourselves what you know like like we give a lot to everybody, but we have to also give to ourselves for all, our own mental health and and we have to forgive ourselves right because like you said, Rashad. We, we make mistakes and we're, and we're learning and we're evolving. And so we have to, we have to be forgiven and we have to, you know, to ourselves, we have to be, we have to be, you know, able to say like, listen, you know, you made a mistake, you know, we, you can correct this and you can live again, right? We, we're not going to get self-destructive because we made this mistake and we're going to go all out and we're going to do a kamikaze and destroy everything, right? And end up off the road, right? Permanently off the road. I think you have to, we have to, we have to understand that we evolve and I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'm better as a person as I've learned and experienced things. And so, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a, there's a physical health, there's a spiritual health, and there's a mental health that we have to uh, develop as men in order to be solid men. And I think when you have those three, you'll find your balance in terms of being good for other people. Correct, correct. Well said, well said. And at the end of the day, everyone looks to the man to lead by example. So you have to be that example. You have to understand that and just be ready for the moment. And understand, like you guys just said, you, you're not going to be perfect and that's okay. But you also have to display like, okay, how do I bounce back from not being perfect, right? Because everyone that's around us, the, the females and the children, they're looking to us to learn. 
So, you know, we have to embrace that and be ready for it and, and, and show that it's okay to not be perfect and to, and to lose some, but I'm going to show you that how you lose some and then ultimately win a lot. Like, you know what I mean? And that, that to me is what it, what it, what defines a man. You, you have to be okay and comfortable with the uncomfortable. And that's what it is. And the three of us didn't get here without resilience. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. 100%. And, and, and to be solid in our stance right now, we had to balance ourselves in some way, spiritually, mentally, and, and physically. 100%. 100%. You have to do something. And, and I'll tell you one thing. Anybody that's going through something, on the other side of it, I, on the other side of it is where you learn who, you, who your true self is. Mm-hmm. So in any adversity, um, and one thing I found is men um, learn from those and move on, and baby boys either shy away from it or they just stay in the house from the very jump. Mm, mm, oh. mm. Well said, like, man. Well said. We need that adversity. About, it's about confronting. It's about yep. confronting. Gentlemen, I'd like you to do your plugs. You know, let it, let, let people know how they can uh, reach you and what you're into. You know, just plug plug in your uh, your interests and, and things. I know uh, D-Mills, you do. You got a, you got a, a talk show, sort of. Talk show on Instagram. And um, I know, uh, Rashawn, I know you got your nonprofit slash your real estate agency. So just push your plugs in now. Yeah, man. So D Mills, you can follow me on, on, on IG um, at D Mills. I also have a, a, a secondary page, which is called Mental Brunch. Again, Mental Brunch. So you can at Mental Brunch. That's also my page. It's all about having these type of discussions, these taboo, like random discussions that we all think about, but very rarely, you know, partake in. And if we do, it's always in the closed, safe space. And I feel like these type of conversations, amongst so many others that I have, need to be more public, need to be more routine, and need to be more of the norm for us to get actual improvement and actual change and next steps. So if you want that positive energy and that positive vibes, follow at D Mills on IG and at Mental Brunch. I'm constantly having these conversations, constantly bringing people live with me and just just vibing out and speaking our truth and sharing information. And it's been amazing. I've been doing it now for five months. The following is growing. So jump on, come see me. Happy to be of service to anyone. If you ever need someone to talk, if you're going through any type of mental health, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, come see me, come talk to me. I'm always there. I don't have any kids, so I have so much time on my hands. Like, you know what I mean? I work from home. I want to help as many, 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 many people as I can. So I'm here. I'm here for the people. I'm here for the public, man. Love you. Love you guys all. Rashawn, thank you so much for taking on this conversation with me. Sharif, it's always a pleasure. You know what you mean to me, bro. Thank you so much. I'm out of here. Got yeah. it. it was a blessing, man. It was a blessing. And um, thank you. Thank you for having me to this conversation. You know, me and Sharif got all the kids, so you don't have to have any minute anymore. But um, <laughs> I also want to just highlight you guys for having this discussion, right? Because this is how we move the, 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 the work. And this is how we move the conversation around who we are as men and how, how we cultivate our communities. Because it's not just about our, our men, right? Because our queens have held us down for far longer than we could even imagine. So I want us to move a coll- as a collective. But really briefly, my name is Rashawn Banjo. Um, I got a, a lot of different various en- energies, but a lot of my focus is uh, on building a community. Um, my heart is in Southeast Queens, Far Rockaway to be exact. Um, we operate a, a Team Crate uh, AU program that touches around 300 kids on the Far Rockaway Peninsula. 
We also operate a Fall Rock Strong, which is our 501c3. We do public events, we do community events, we do charities, and we do information sessions for the community just to make sure that they have all the information that they can. Um, and then my, my latest venture has been Victory Lat Realty, which is an extension of the conversation um, on how do we uh, own our own homes and own our own communities. Uh, so what we've done is have webinars, um, we do investor feedback, um, we do info sessions to make sure that the community has the information to own their own. Um, and then we're also bringing in investors to make sure that uh, gen rapidly gentrifying areas across Queens and Brooklyn are going to maintain the culture and feel um, that they have been. Um, everybody knows what happens in Bed-Stuy, what happens in portions of Brooklyn, and it sh we should be a part of that uh, profit appreciation as well. So Victory Lat Realty is, is, is built on uh, service, servicing underserved communities and making sure that we get a piece of this money as well. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.